This is episode number 159 of the Rising Man podcast with John Kagan. The biggest boundary to success is the man in the mirror. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me here today. It is I, Jedi Azuma, sitting behind the mic once again, the host and creator of this show and the founder of the Rising Man movement. Before we get into our episode today, I want to remind all the daddies out there, all the papa bears, about our Rising Fathers community that I've created. Yes, it is an exclusive membership community just for dads or guys who are becoming fathers, where you can go and you can get exclusive content related to fatherhood, how to be a better father, how to negotiate a relationship with your partner, the mother of your children even better and just a lot of really amazing stuff we're going to have monthly calls and a community network where you can connect and communicate with other dads who are out there doing the dad thing the best they can so make sure you go and check out our rising fathers community we're going to officially lift off the first week of february so go ahead and get yourself signed up today all right, without further ado, my guest is John Kagan, a.k.a. Glass Meadow, a very, very dear brother of mine going back to our college days at Ithaca College. He is a rapper, producer, songwriter, less than mediocre singer, script writer, meditator, growth seeker, and good vibes appreciator. John is a brother I've known since we were back in college together. I've seen his growth and development as an artist, as a producer, as a creator, and also as a man just really working hard on his craft. In this episode, John and I reflected on the effort it takes to make your excuses irrelevant. We dissected John's journey and determination to develop his craft as a musician, lyricist, and creator, despite the adversities he's faced. John shared some of his strategies for getting focused and tracking goals to create personal accountability. One of the great things I love that John spoke about was trying new things and taking risks and doing things you've never done before. It really made me think of my journey stepping into podcasting, having never had any of this experience before. So he has some really great stuff to share about that as well. John also spoke about the human birth lottery, why we can't change the DNA we're given, and how we can make the most of what we get. And lastly, we both shared our beliefs on what is required to get the results we want out of life without letting our circumstances dictate them. Without further ado, John Kagan, aka Glass Meadow. All right, Rising Man family, I've got a very special guest today, a brother of mine who goes way back to our college days back at Ithaca College, I see represent John Kagan, aka Glass Meadow, live from Los Angeles in the house, man. What's up? What's up, Jetty? I feel good being here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. And I just want to say before we begin, I really do admire the work you do and what your mission is and what it offers to men like me and, and other people around the world. So right on, man. Thank you, bro. I really appreciate that. And I always think the best relationships are where we're getting the better end of the deal on both sides. So <laughs> you've been a man that I've admired and respected deeply for your commitment to your craft, your work ethic, the way that you be in this world, your generosity and your subtlety of existence. is It's really special, man. So I'm glad to have you on here and to showcase your experience and wisdom for all the men and all, and all the women out there who are listening. So it's deeply mutual, my bro. Much love, man. Much love. Yeah. Yeah. So let's drop in, man. I'm going to ask you a question. I ask everybody to set context for the conversation. And that is, what does it mean to be a man? Hmm. To be a man, 
the way I would respond to that question be accountability, self-realization. And of course, I'm going to throw, you know, general big terms and then maybe we could specify them later. But that self-realization, self-awareness of wanting to know who you are and what your relationship is with other people and once establishing that soberly, then the accountability can come after that, right? It's hard to hold yourself accountable if you don't know who you are or it's hard to really put your print on the world if you don't know, uh, you know, what pen or pencil you're holding or what stroke you're trying to you know, do with a brush. So life is, you know, complicated and we were always evolving. So that question of who am I can change as well. Right. But I think it's that responsibility to make sure that we are social beings. Right. And if you are going to live amongst other people that as a man, you're living with respect, honor, and you have a purpose and it doesn't have to be a dramatic Hollywood purpose of a protagonist saving the world. Right. But in the sense that you can leave your mark in a constructive way. And I know when my response, every response will be subjective because someone out in a monastery, in a Buddhist monastery can, well, take out most of those attachments I just named, right? So I think the difference would be both of us answering what our self-realization is and what our purpose is. And then it's relative to that. Yeah, man. Well, there's one thing that really stands out in your response I want to hear more about. You said the willingness to know yourself. And then soon after that, you said soberly. Can you explain a little bit more about why that's important in your description of what it means to be a man? Of course. I think we're designed, we evolved to also be really good at lying to ourselves, to see the best parts of ourselves and hide the worst parts of ourselves. And again, the nurture side of ourselves mixed with the nature presents this weird mixed cocktail of like this thing we call a person, the ego, my name, what am I, what I do. And in life, we may go through trauma. We may go through abandonment, pain. We may go through you know, periods of hubris because we succeeded. When I say soberly, it's being able to kind of wipe the fog in the mirror and be very honest with yourself and see like, okay, this, you know, I always like to go to a computer, go into the mind. It's an analogy I may use often in this episode that we kind of have this hardware that has also malware in it as well. And a part of the malware is the evolution part. And part of it could be specific to our personalities and so forth. And being honest with yourself helps with the compassion of being, you don't have to judge yourself as much. Like, okay, I have these habits of my mind. Where do they come from? And if I can keep asking why and make those self-discoveries, it empowers me because one, I don't have to get mad at myself sometimes when I'm like, why did I behave this way? There may be some explanations, right? And so soberly is, is really holding yourself accountable and not being afraid to see the ugliest sides. And then there you could do the work, you know, to kind of just be the best version of yourself. Yeah. I'm so glad that you rolled that into this description about manhood. I don't think I've ever had anybody. I mean, this you're like the 140 something interview that we've done, I think maybe more at this point where I haven't heard a guy share that piece about the importance of facing off with yourself soberly. And I think it's essential because that's one of the biggest resistances we have is the fear of looking in the mirror and not liking what we see. And I know there's a lot of people that use words like self-love, self-compassion. And for me, I think what we're really talking about is an acceptance of what is, the things that are undeniably, unequivocally true and unalterable about ourselves from which we can adjust, we can adapt, we can modify, we can improve. And before we even started this conversation, I was saying, I'm so glad to have you on here because you're one of those guys who I see who has faced off with all of those things and engaged with them, like in a, in a very intentional and deliberate way that 
a lot of other guys would benefit from, but just don't know how to get there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And it could just mean I have no idea what I'm talking about if I'm the first person. <laughs> everyone else knew what they were talking about. And <laughs> maybe, maybe you're crazy. crazy. <laughs> but yeah, in relation to that, I think the reason why it occupies some bandwidth in my mind is just growing up in general, I kind of was always drawn also to the antagonist in a lot of movies. Like I sympathized with the villain because I understood the dichotomy of human nature was way more complicated than like the 90s and early 2000s, like movies and TV shows. But there was just a villain with no context or backstory. And I always was drawn to discovering my flaws because to me, I was like, those are going to be exposed no matter what. And to this day, and you know, every week they're exposed with my relationships and whatnot. But I know that the end game isn't to lie to myself right now about what I am. It's to arrive honestly at what I can be. And, you know, I can't get there if I'm not going back to the word, looking at myself soberly. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating, man. I remember I'm trying to think of, I had someone on here. We had a conversation. It has to be two years ago at this point. And he introduced that idea of embracing the villain, you know, and, and telling the story of the villain in a different way. I know there's some really clever screenplays that have been written from the villain's perspective. I think about the the Wizard of Oz when they wrote it from the Wicked Witch of the West in her perspective. And that I think that's an important reference because so many of us, especially when we're talking about men and masculine archetypes, we want to be the hero. It feels good to be the hero, to be of service, to have the parade, the triumphant, victorious celebration, and having people shower us with praise and acknowledgement. But that's only one half of the story, <laughs> or maybe even less than half. Maybe it's what, a fraction of the story that's reality. And I think that's one of the things most of us are not prepared for when we get to an adult age, is how to deal with those darker, shadowy parts of ourselves. I know I wasn't raised that way. I don't know about you. I couldn't honestly answer if I was or wasn't. It doesn't feel like, you know, I had to sit down with folks at home and they're like, hey, you know, have compassion for, you know, the villains out there, right? So how I arrived there, I'm not sure. But I do know that we used to watch Heroes. We literally watched a show together called Heroes. One of my favorite characters was Siler, who was like the villain there. And what I loved about that show is that eventually Sila realized instead of just slicing the heads off people's, you know, looking at their brains and stealing their power, he could also get their power through empathy. I thought that was a really cool written part of his character. It happened maybe around season three or four, I forget. So he no longer had to kill and empathy could empower him. And I think just looking at the world, being a child of immigrants and always kind of trying to have a global perspective on things and outside my box, I realized that a lot of people who are vilified, whether amongst, you know, politics, pop culture and whatnot, you can eradicate them and they will always be replaced, right? So because it's human nature, like the problem is within human nature, but it's a lot more powerful if you get the villain to change from within, right? We can't just like try to destroy people. We can't just try to ostracize people, cancel people. We want to, if a villain can change from within, then that villain's followers, right? or can follow that the lasting impact of that is greater. The fact that you just used that word vilify and we're talking about the villain. I didn't know this is where the conversation was going to go, <laughs> but I, I took a moment to look up the etymology of it. Let me read this out. Cause I don't know if you know this, but the etymology of vilify comes from mid 15th century. It means to lower in worth or value. I just think that's so fascinating because that says so much culturally about how we look at ourselves that the villain, the darkness, the shadow, the evil, whatever we, words we associate with it is lowered in value, is less valuable than 
the contrast, the alternative, right? The good deeds, the good Samaritan. And I know so much of my experience in the best of what I've gotten out of my life has been diving into those dark parts of myself, the parts I don't want to face off with, the part of me that is lying to myself, saying that I'm a humble man when really I'm just secretively finding ways to make it about me and get what I want. So much freedom and liberation in facing off with it, not to say that it's been easy, but that that's really been the pathway forward for me. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I'm happy that it's been a part of your work as well. It's hard for sure. It's uncomfortable. You're going to feel a lot of uncomfortable feelings and the ego is not going to like it because what will reveal itself, you know, how it will reveal itself rather. I don't think like to not speak in duality terms, but yeah, man. And I promise to your fans, I've never been to Comic-Con. We didn't know the conversation <laughs> was going to go here. <laughs> Yeah, man. But it is interesting how we have that nature. I also, I remember I had a conversation with another guest here on the podcast, a guy named David Lyon, and he's a magician. And I remember he also does a lot of transformational work too. And he was the first person that gave me a different context about the shadow. He said, have you, do you remember the story of Peter Pan? And I was like, well, kind of. He's like, go rewatch the story of Peter Pan and look at what the messaging is about the shadow, right? This was him. He was trying to catch his shadow and to get it back. He knew that he was out of balance if he didn't have his shadow. And it was such a subtle and profound teaching that was woven into this really popular kid's tale. It was really interesting. And I've gone back. My son, Sitka, got really into Peter Pan shortly after that. So I got to look at it through that lens. And obviously, a lot of the other work we do with rites of passage and deeper transformational work, we know that this is the case. What it doesn't change and what it never will change is how uncomfortable that process is. And that's really the difference. Yeah, man, for sure. And I'd like to point out that I think you and I would agree that we grew up in a culture that promoted the idea of a man as kind of this weird twisted way, right? Whether people want to use the, you know, the phrase toxic masculinity or whether or not they want to coin the terms as just like false superiorhood or, a, you know, twisted sense of self, whatever you may want to say, I think it also works for the alternative, right? So I think we also have a false sense of being wholesome or a false sense of being noble and righteous where we grew up with this idea of like, well, if you're not going to be that toxic masculine man, you're going to be someone who's so in touch with himself, enlightened and spiritually aligned. And I think that is just an extreme on the opposite direction, denying the truth that we evolved all to mainly do two things, right? Survive and procreate those aren't such wholesome intentions, right? Like, let's just be really honest. So in 2020, you know, we're not hunter and gatherers anymore and we're way past, you know, the Roman empire and we're past industrial revolution now and technological revolution now that's happening. And another one that is going to change how we live day to day, but we still have those two main, like those are the main algorithms within a lot of the programming. So being honest with yourself and then saying, okay, I have this kind of, reflex that always makes sure I'm going to survive and that manifests in many ways. And then I have this kind of like maybe horny side to me and this sexual, like, you know, testosterone, high energy side. And how can I live in harmony today? And how has it brought up maybe the pros and cons of myself? And I think that's also part of the work in viewing yourself, you know, honestly. Yeah, man. I'll jump on board with your computer analogies for a second. You know, the way I look at it is technology is advancing and accelerating faster than we can keep up with, 
right? It's like the new iPhone comes out and we have to relearn how to use this piece of technology. It's like, how do I do this? Like, it's reading my eyeballs now. It's reading my mind. It's like the same thing with our brains, right? You know, if we go back 10,000 years, a little, maybe even a little longer than that, shorter than that, our brains were just doing what you said. They were reacting, they were surviving and they've advanced so much. They've had to catch up so quickly to such a rapidly shifting culture and way of being that there's the baseline survival reptilian part of ourselves that's trying to negotiate this higher consciousness evolved human brain that it's like operating machinery that we don't have a manual for. Exactly. It's new territory. It's a whole new frontier. Yeah. It's on autopilot. And this may reference a bit of like we were discussing earlier, the birth lottery that is, can be alluded to this, right? So the birth lottery could be where you didn't choose where you're going to be born, what height you'll be, how athletic, how smart and this and that. But there's also like outside of the material stuff, let's say wealth, or if you're born into poverty, war, whatever, there's the cortical lottery as well. Right. And that is like a millennia of evolution that you just happen to be, get the genetics from, you know, half from one parent, half from the other. And now you just have this autopilot system that may say, oh, you're more neurotic or you react a lot more like this, or you feel, you know, you may have less endorphins and serotonin, like getting triggered in your body. Their brain chemistry may be different. And we just only know ourselves. You've only ever been Jetty. I've only ever been John. And all we know is that becomes normalized to us, but we've never been outside and experienced someone else's cortical lottery and see how they operate. So that's why it's also very easy to be judgmental and whatnot, right? And that's how we can also arrive at heroes and villains, realizing we're way more complicated than just like the surface of what shows up as someone's personality, right? There's so much more going on in Jetty than I'll ever understand. So, yeah. I love that, man. And the thing it makes me think of is just the classic nature versus nurture conversation and the more modern playing with the cards that you were dealt. There's so many inspiring stories out, right? You just think about YouTube, things people repost on Facebook all the time is the people who have a very obvious and unique type of handicap, whether it's a social circumstantial handicap or a physical, mental, emotional handicap and rising above their circumstances, not letting their circumstances dictate the story of their life but taking that control for themselves. And I think it's so compelling and so inspiring for so many of us because we're really no different. We're no different than the wrestler who has no arms and no legs and is out there figuring out how to wrestle anyway. We're no different than the individual who grew up in poverty and somehow became a Fortune 500 CEO. We have different cards. We might not have those specific circumstances, but the hardwiring is not really that different. Right? We come into this life with what we get and we have the same opportunities, the same 24 hours in a day to do with what we have, whatever we want, you know? And so this is a good pivot into the conversation I really wanted to have with you. You're wearing this shirt that says 10,000 hours on it right now. I know that's been a huge context and theme for your life for probably, I don't know what, would you say the past decade, the past decade and a half? Yeah, I would say decade of it sounds right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're probably more at a hundred thousand hours at this point, let's be honest. <laughs> but can you just give us a little bit of context to what 10,000 hours means to you and how that served you in your work? Yeah. So there's Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, like theory. It takes 10,000 hours to master a craft. Specifically to this shirt, I'd have to give shouts to my homie Devin. He's a basketball trainer. So he has a brand called 10,000 Hours. And he applies that say, you know, the craft for him is basketball and putting that amount of time to master basketball. But what it means to me is not about necessarily getting to the number as far as just having a number 
that represents always showing up day to day, right? Like it'd be hard to reach 10,000 hours if you're working on your craft two times a week. So I also was a basketball trainer and training players, you firsthand see like a progress, like a human being progressing in front of your eyes over a period of time. And there's a goal, whether it's to play college basketball or make this team, whatever, maybe be a better shooter. And you realize there's steps to getting there. And cold basketball, you can break it down to different skill sets, working on, you know, dribbling, defense, shooting, off ball movement within, you know, dribbling so many types of things you could do and so forth. So I was like, okay, but I'm also pursuing my own thing with music. And I'm also... I want to be able to meditate two hours a day. I also want to be a better this and that. So I applied it to whatever my personal goals were. And I was like, maybe about almost a decade ago, I knew I wasn't going to like write down an hour every day, but I knew I could create this chart that could be even more elaborate, which is what I'm looking at right here. I know you can't see it, but I'd love to even like send it to you one day. And I have years. I create, I buy posters. I pretty much create two thirds of the poster is charted into months, so 12 months. And then the top has three boxes. One shows the net totals for each month. The metal box shows what I need to do daily, which is the short-term goals. And the box to the right will be the long-term goals. So let's say the long-term goals for me are get signed, sell three movie scripts, you know, become more present and mindful, learn a new language, read 12 books, whatever it may be, right? The middle, the daily stuff has to make sure that I'm working towards that. So I number everything, right? So one right now, as I'm looking at it, is meditate twice a day. Two is music. Three, script work. Four is exercise. Five is Spanish. (laughs) Six is read. You know, just for, so the way it'll work is today is Thursday on January in the second week. So tomorrow when I wake up, I'll write down on Thursday all the numbers I did. So if I did music, I'll put two there. If I did the script, I'll put three. If I exercise, I put four and so forth. So each number acts as a key, right? As an emblem to know what the actual task is. And then at the end of the month, I go throughout the calendar and I say, okay, how many times did I write one? I wrote one 24 times. So I go on top and say my January net total for meditation was 24, right? Like as an example. And then I could put the net totals by the end of the year, I know exactly precisely how many times I read, how many times I exercised, how many times I did, you know, anything I decide to put there, anything you would decide to put there. And then I have the year and then I can compare the year to the year to 2019 to so forth. And then now I know, hey, maybe I slacked in this department, which I would have never known. Even if I felt it, I didn't precisely know how much I slacked. And it's accountability, man. Yeah. And literally the definition of accountability, right? You're putting numbers and objective data behind the work that you're doing. You've created a system for yourself, which I'm sure is very unique. I don't know personally anybody else who has a system quite like you, but the spirit of it, of objectifying what you're doing, objectifying your work and making it quantitative so that you can look at it honestly and say, I didn't put as much into my music as I thought I did this year. That's a bigger intention for me next year. And and not, you know, not getting stuck on the shame train of, oh man, I wasted all that time. I I suck. I'm not really committed to my artistry. I should just give up. But saying, all right, I'm going to put that at the top of the list for the next few months and, and catch back up to my progress. That's, I'm sure that's come up along the way for you. As far as those conversations with myself, it's like within, I didn't do as well as I wanted. Yeah. And how to move past that without getting stuck in what I call shame purgatory. Yeah. I like that shame purgatory. Yeah. It's, you know, I think 
at the end of the day, we know if we're putting in the work into something, right? So, cause it's all relative, right? So let's say I like, <laughs> let's say I did like 30 days of a month into music and the next month I did 28 days. I won't beat myself up cause they're like, I think, you know, 28 days is still pretty good. Right. But you know, and uh, there are times where I definitely, there was a certain task that I saw I slacked. And I think the way I do handle it first, I have to go to why, right? Cause I'm also aware that there's a lot going there. Right. So at the end of the year, if I want to finish six scripts, right. Like movie scripts, that's also hard if I'm also trying to like finish 200 songs, right? So I have to understand I have 24 hours in the day. I'm going to be sleeping. There's eating. And then there's like, you know, relationships that you want to value, people you want to catch up with and so forth. So if anything, it may shift the conversation into allocating parts of the day. So what's cool with this is I can sometimes see that I'm not as efficient at a certain task on a certain day. Like I'm like, oh, on weekends, why am I not doing this as much, right? Saturday and Sunday, I write this number less. So what's cool about it is you can have that purgatory, maybe self-shame, but there's enough data here to also allow you to, to make the changes, to render what you've been doing. So it's empowering too. You don't feel stagnant in the sense like, I failed, nothing's working. It's like, oh no, let me just like analyze. Like if I'm gonna be crazy enough to make this chart, <laughs> let's use it as a tool. So it's, yeah. And I have found that just, I'm not even using it as an example, like Saturdays and Sundays. It's like, oh, what's going on here? And yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you would subscribe to this distinction, but in the difference between masculine and feminine, and I just view those as just words that describe a series of qualities. To me, the way you're tracking your work is more masculine. It's scientific, it's logical, it's it's data-based, it's mathematical, right? You're, it extracts some of the emotion out of it, of how you might feel about the results. Not ignoring how you feel about them, but directing it back to what is objective that I can actually make an impact on, that I can make an adjustment, that I can move more more towards the solution element of things and not getting caught up so much in the shame, the emotional cycle that might come up from that. Because here's another, the contrast to it, right? Is you might look at your results and say, damn, I killed it. I killed it this year and get so yoked on how well you did that that could kind of trick you into like easing up a little bit. Say, all right, well, I've been killing it a little bit. I'm going to slow down and ease up because I feel really good about how I'm doing versus this very meticulous strategic approach to how you're taking on your craft and the things you want to create. Yeah, no doubt. And like, just for anyone who's listening, this isn't this thought process is a natural to me. So what I find interesting is that I'm a lot more like the right sphere of the brain. Like I'm more sensitive and open ideas minded and emotional creative and whatnot, where the left side of being analytical and mathematic and really pragmatic is doesn't come natural to me at all. And I do find it interesting that sometimes in life, you know, we are able to gravitate towards the things that are kind of opposite to us as exercises or even like borrowing personality traits or, or finding things to do, hobbies and passions. Because I also look at it as like, I was this kid who needed like a lot of tutors and had learning disabilities growing up. And like, I don't learn quickly uh, visual, like I'm the opposite of like photographic memory. Like I need repetition and I need, you know, even when basketball learning plays, I was like the last one who could like to learn a simple play where I had like some of my homies, they would, were sitting down, coaches running through it and they're like, they got it. And I was like, I needed my body to actually go through it. Same with driving somewhere. I have friends that they go somewhere once and know how to get there. I was like, 
thank God for GPS, you know, like <laughs> things just doesn't come naturally to me. So with this chart, I think it was almost sometimes we go to sometimes other extremes as to find those tools because we, you know, I was self-aware of that weakness kind of to bring it back home to how the conversation started. Like, you know, I was like, okay, this is part of kind of the cortical lottery. Like my mom had dyslexia, like I got some like learning disabilities, can't control that. But now let's try to make the most of it. You know, I wish I was like super analytical. I wish I was like math and all that came easily to me and I could be so logical. So this is just a kind of a cool example of me being honest with myself and making the most of it. This helps me. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that in and that you referenced back to that birth lottery, right? That that's, that's just what you got, man. And you didn't let your circumstances direct how your life was going to be. You figured out a different way. And I, I forgot that about you. I forgot that you weren't that way because honestly, you've been the way you are and the way you approach your craft for more years now than not in the time that I've known you. So what I think is really cool about that is number one, it's a pure example of embodying the work of what it takes to rise above your circumstances. It's empowering because you're literally taking power and control and command back into your sphere instead of leaving it outside of yourself and more of that victim-y realm. And you're finding a way to overcome the obstacles that are in the way of what you really want, which that's the part to me that makes you not unique from any other man that I've ever spoken to is you have a vision, you have something you want, you have desires, but the difference is that you're not letting obstacles get in the way. That's where I see a lot of guys still getting tripped up. I see a lot of guys still getting tripped up on the circumstances. The, I don't have enough money. I don't like my job. I don't have a skill set where I can take care of myself. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not charismatic enough to get a date. All the reasons why we can't have what we ultimately want that we start to believe that keep us from taking a risk or taking action at least and moving towards solution. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the human experience, right? I'm interested in what you figured out, you know, and I know that you're such a humble dude, man. I know you're not here sitting on a pedestal saying that you figured it all out, but there's definitely some experience you've gleaned in your time that would be valuable for guys to hear. How did you figure out how to navigate those obstacles and not let them get in your way? Oh man, I think I'm aware of what my goals are. So one, I'm trying to be a rapper, producer, I want to sell screen, like anything in the arts entertainment, right? You have to be self-aware that the probability is low, very competitive. And I'm not someone who's just into wishful thinking, right? Like my muses were like Kobe Bryant, right? People who exemplified a love of a craft, being a student of a game and working really hard. I have not arrived anywhere, right? I'm not where I want to be, but I'm going to give it everything I have. And at least when I look back, I know I'll feel a lot better knowing that I put in 10,000 hours than, you know, if I didn't, I can live with the results after that. And to answer your question specifically with the obstacles that arose, I'm like, there's an obstacle every day, man. Like the mental stress of knowing where I'm at you know, in my life and where a lot of people my age are and the sacrifices I'm making, whether, you know, it's like want to have kids, serious relationships, or just going to a comfortable job that will pay a lot better. Like, I know that I'm, my mom's losing sleep probably every night, right? But it's weird. I think it's ineffable in the sense that like, all I could say is the cheesy cliche thing that if you love something, you just wake up and do it, right? Like you don't have to think twice. It's like brushing your teeth. And we see people express their love if they really love someone, like, you know, they'll what the sacrifices they'll do and the commitment they'll make, right? It's a commitment, like love is also action. So 
for my crafts, that's my action. Like if obstacles come, it's like, you don't scare me as much as I love what I'm going for, right? Like what I'm doing, right? And we're all gonna get jaded. Like we're all human and we can become exhausted and doubt can arise. But you just, you know, you show up. Part of me also being a man is showing up in so many spaces. And I know you talk about that a lot. If it's showing up as a husband, showing up as a father, showing up as a friend, showing up as a son. I think it's also showing up as like, the dream chaser, right? Showing up as the guy who's going to put up work. Yeah, I love that. There's a couple of things you said in there I want to extract out. You said love is action, just period, mic drop. I've never heard someone say that. That deserves to be punctuated. Love is action. Uh, we don't need to expound on that. I want that to just stand alone. But there's another piece that you said in there that I think is really profound that I, I don't know exactly what words you used, but what I heard you articulate was a willingness to accept the outcome only after knowing that you took your shot, that you're willing to accept whatever it is, even if that means that you don't become a famous rapper producer, but that you know that you put in your time. You know that you took what cart hands you were dealt and you played those cards the best of your ability. You know that you'll be able to rest your laurels on that, even if the outcome isn't what you had intended for. Is that what I heard? Yeah. I think you summarized that coherently. And I, if there's anything to add, the motivation behind that may be self-evident to me. It's you have this life to live, right? And minimizing regret, which I know is something even like a lot of top CEOs do, right? They, they base their life off of regret minimization, really like that's what drives them to kind of move up these, you know, build these companies and go far. And I've never been too business-minded and whatnot. It's not like I, I read books from a lot of the CEOs, but I know it's a mentality they have. And I think it applies to anything, right? To just like being present and like also living in the now and make, seizing the moment and also loving the work. So I think sometimes people view work as negative connotation as something exhausting, like energy draining and whatnot. And to me, it's the journey, you know, it really hit me to bring it back to Kobe. But like, I remember he gave a speech in uh, his last game, I believe it was. And he told, he said that it's the journey, you know, he's like, now that I'm here in 20 years and the league is gone, it's like, he's been doing this for over half his life. And everyone's always thinking about the finish line, you know, that image of like, I finally get there, finally get that job, win that trophy, win that award, or get that record contract. That's going to be, you know, the last shot before the credits roll and you're on cloud nine. But he said, looking back, it's like the beautiful part was the journey. It's those lonely hours and all that, because it makes it that much sweeter. And for other men listening, I think, it can be empowering sometimes if you put yourself on a regimen. I think, I think that, you know, once we graduate from schools, our next regiments really become work. There's jobs, right? But with the jobs, there's incentive because we're getting pay. Or in school, it was really just grades. So I think to be able to come up with a regimen that doesn't reward you right away, or you don't have a guarantee income or a guarantee prize, right? Anything in the end to look forward to. That shapes you because I'm putting all these hours and not getting paid yet, right? Like, like if you can have that work ethic when it's not even returning anything, right? Because we're programmed to reciprocate tit for tat, right? That's the thing with love too, relationships. We want it to be reciprocal. When it doesn't become reciprocal, then there's tension within the relationship. With my relationship with my crafts, it hasn't given me anything back as far as all my long-term goals are, but I'm still showing up, knocking at the door, 
And I'm now conditioned. I think we have to acclimate to that type of mentality, just like we have to acclimate to all environments. Yeah, that's awesome because I can also very much relate to that experience. That's what creating the podcast was like for me and really the first three years of investing my love and my energy into The Rising Man. There wasn't that immediate gratification, that immediate return on investment in the form of money and finances, which I think it's also really telling that our generation is, I don't know what the numbers are and I don't want to make something up, but it's starkly different than previous generations in terms of long-term savings and having a retirement fund. I think it's very revealing in terms of how we look at life. You know, there's more of this live for the moment, live for today. Don't worry about tomorrow or next week or next year so much. And there's part of that that's really beautiful, but there's the balance to that that's really missing, that's really vacant and void is the fact that we're not prone to or seasoned in or practiced in investing in our future long-term putting in those hours without the return on investment. I will say this though, I was getting a lot more back that didn't have a dollar sign in front of it along the way. There's things that you get from that in that time where you're just investing into your craft that is not financial necessarily, but that does fill you up, that does feed you, even just experience, right? (laughs) At the end of the day, no matter what you do, you're getting experience and something to learn from that is valuable. I want to share a quick story because I I think about you a lot in the way that like exactly what you just said, you know, you've, you put in a lot of hours to your craft and you're not living off of your craft yet. I remember when I was still working as a physical therapist, it was a few years ago when I was building the rising man and getting myself to a position because my vision was to be able to do this full time, to be able to do this work and give back to men and lead men as my livelihood and as my passion work. And I I tell this story because my son was still in diapers. I remember one day I left the house right before I left the house, he pooped. So I, I changed his diaper and, you know, took care of him, went out the door. My first client that I'm working with is this 89 year old gentleman who had dementia, you know, lots of other conditions and stuff. And literally less than an hour later, I'm with him in the bathroom and he's pooping. And here I am. I'm like, man, I just changed a two year old's diaper and now I'm changing an 89 year old's diaper. This sucks. (laughs) And I had every reason to just be so pissed off. I was like, it was one of those almost last straw moments. Like, that's it. I'm going to get at it. I don't care what it takes. I'll I'll go on food stamps. (laughs) I'm not going to wipe another ass. But fortunately, I had this community of men, right? I had this community of men that, you know, number one, could help me laugh at the circumstances and also reframe it to say that that was part of me fulfilling my vision. As much as I didn't want to acknowledge it, as uncomfortable as it was, wiping that gentleman's ass and helping take care of him was part of me being able to do what I do because that was enabling me to do the podcast. Going and taking care of him and getting paid to do that was allowing me to show up and coach the guys that I was working with later that evening. And so (laughs) that became a rallying cry for me. I used to say, I'm I'm wiping ass. Like this is my wiping ass job. I'm wiping ass right now so that I can have what I want at the end of the day. And really, I just think it's like, it's taking the licks on the chin that are part of having what you say you want. Yeah. Sometimes you got to deal with shit, right? (laughs) (laughs) For real, man. And like nothing should come easy. You know, I think we obfuscate sometimes the idea of like, causation, the laws of causation, to think that there's always going to be a direct effect from the cause. And therefore, we have this microwave mentality in attaining what we want, where we forget about the marathon. And along the marathon, as you said, like I, I think you beautifully stated that even though the gratification wasn't in dollar signs, even when you're dealing with the shit, though, you're getting some wisdom and you're growing in some ways. And I think because 
it's a bit nebulous in some people's minds as far as like what that roadmap looks like, right? Because it's not a literal roadmap. It's not like you're going on Google Maps and you're like, this is my dream. How do I get there? I think crystallizing it sometimes and understanding the nuances of just like, it's okay to take steps backwards or it's okay to fall because we grow in adversity. I think adversity is super healthy. I think it conditions us in a lot of ways to deal with what life really is, right? We don't want to be too coddled either, right? Like, yeah, with this dream, you know, for anyone listening, it's not like this chart is my miracle pill or some snake oil and like, hey, I've been doing it for this amount of years. If anything, it seems like it's not working at all, right? Like I have nothing to back it up with. But the how I've grown in my crafts and all the areas that are important to me, like I'm aware of that. And no one ever can force their dream to come to fruition, right? But it's, you know, they say luck is, you know, preparation and opportunity. So I'm taking care of what I can, which is the preparation. And that's at least the accountability I have right now. Yeah. Yeah. So good, man. And I can definitely attest. I mean, I've known you for what seems it's definitely over a decade. I don't know how long it's been for sure, but I've known you for many years, man. And, and your commitment to your craft is definitely evident to myself and those who've known you from where you started. I know that your journey as a lyricist, as a poet, as a creator, as a musician goes back farther than even I know you. So I, I have a very fond memories of standing out there one of those late nights on the balcony. I remember you were dropping a freestyle about Eli Manning and Tiki Bar. <laughs> and then now to see how far you've come, man, you are such an amazing, for those guys who don't know you, such an amazing lyricist and incredible producer, the way that you put musical arrangements together is very unique. And so even if people don't know about it yet, your craft is definitely evolving. And I thought we could pivot a little bit more into your artistry and your music, what drives you in there, what your intention and purpose is behind creating music. Because in my opinion, I'll say just for me, you're spitting wisdom. You're dropping seeds of intelligence for people to take if it serves them. Thanks, man. I mean, you haven't heard the freestyles when I'm showering, so. (laughs) But yeah, for sure. And just to preface all that, I think they'll serve some utility to just break down what I'm doing because I think there's a lesson here. So I'm a rapper, producer, who's now also shooting all his own music videos and editing his all his own music videos, mix everything. So very DIY. The reason I'm bringing it up is whoever's listening, I think it's important for people to know to, to not be afraid to keep learning, right? Because it can be daunting and it can come back to how we're wired to weigh the reward. And we don't think like putting all this time to learn something will reward us, we'll step away from it. But my trajectory, if we look at it as like linear, writing bars, poetry, starting to rap, paying other people for beats, loving music, feeling like, you know what? I don't want to pay people for beats. I want to make my own beats. Learning that. And then eventually learning how to mix, learning how to do, you know, the engineering and all that. So now I can really just do everything in my own room, paying people for music videos. And that's not be like, okay, I don't want to pay people for music videos this and that anymore. I want to have my, and then I was scary to kind of even like learn like videos foreign to me, right? Like editing and all that. And now every song I release, you know, I shot and edited and, you know, very rudimentary level. Like I'm not, you know, there's no feather in the cap or anything, but it's just allowing me to have more control of it. So I think just for people to realize that it could be scary to want to tackle a new skill, but just, you know, if you dive in, you may realize how beautiful it could be too. So yeah, what I'm trying to say with my music now, having all these creative controls and I can really craft now like the story, right? I, from the visuals, to the audio, I've always been a lyricist and I've always 
use music to be vulnerable. So this is going to go back to the villain and whatnot, where rap usually was about braggadocio and really kind of saying like, I'm the man, you know, I'm the shit, like uh, I'm the best MC here. I get so many women, this and that. And obviously I'm generalizing. There's always been conscious hip hop, but that conscious hip hop is what I grew up on and usually wasn't being promoted on mainstream radio. So eventually I got into underground hip hop because the lyricism, more people were speaking to me, right? Like when I was going through stuff, I didn't, you know, really care about like the bling bling era because like I was going through stuff, right? And I get there's music for the clubs. I get like, we need to have a balance. But I liked, you know, the the MC was like, whoa, this person just like kind of just shat on himself. And instead of shitting on other people, he just like really went at himself and exposed vulnerable things that we don't talk about day to day, right? And that's the beauty of art a lot of times. It could be reflective of our ugly sides and the beautiful sides, and it allows the viewers to experience it in their own way. So to this day, where I am now, you know, really just kind of having conversations and like honest conversations talking about the things that are vulnerable, you know, whether it's like insecurities, you know, I love exposing my insecurities through, through my music. And then there's social commentary too. And I try to make sure I do that from like a perspective where it's not righteous. Cause I don't want to be either like the socially conscious righteous rapper is like, this is how you fix this. And you got to be right. I don't want to be preachy. And then just honest stuff too. Sometimes I like capturing a moment, you know, like just this a verse about like, you'd be walking outside and all of a conversation you have with someone or like a moment you realize you had fear or like wanting to talk to someone you didn't like those everyday moments we all have, but no one ever talks about. And musically, I tend to go for more like a emotive feel. Like I like so many things from Radiohead, Cigarettes, right? Like I like Brian Eno. I like electronic stuff. I like folk stuff. Sometimes I'll listen to John Mayer and Nora Jones. Sometimes it's Outkast. I think in the end of the day, I like the music though to hit in some way. If I want to make you dance or whatever and this and that, you'll feel it. But there's some like cinematic element to it where I like it kind of having like a soundtrack to what I can rap to. It's beautiful, man, because as I'm listening to this, and, and again, you know, I've known you for so many years. I'll say this to you right now, live on the podcast, that I, people get to see more of your process too. I think that's something that we miss a lot about artists, or we have historically, that we would see the finished product, right? We would see the album, we would see the soundtrack and miss out on, on the process. And in a world where so many people are trying to find their way and trying to find and source inspiration from many different places, I think there's a lot of untapped, let's just call it untapped gold, an untapped mind behind the scenes of what you're doing, especially a guy like you, the way you're approaching everything we talked about so far in this conversation, what I'm really seeing is the music is the destination, right? The album is the destination. And really, like you said, the value is in the journey and how you're putting that together, how you're piecing it together, what you're learning about yourself, the creative and artistic risks that you take to do something different because it feels authentic. And I won't speak for you, but you're not putting all your emphasis on how many downloads or how many listens you're going to get from it. You're, you're just choosing to be authentic and genuine in what you say. And I'll speak for myself. I was just telling someone last week, I was reflecting, we were having a men's circle and we were checking in on how we feel stepping into 2021. And I really took that in. I was like, well, how do I feel? How do I really feel right now? And I looked off the screen for a minute and I checked in. I said, you know what? I feel so free to just be myself everywhere I go. I don't spend as much energy as I used to trying to be someone that I'm not. I get to be so, the way that I express myself in my physical appearance, in my voice, in my words, and, and what I, I'll say the same thing to my best friend as I would on the podcast because it's just what I believe. 
I don't try to shape or manicure my message to who I'm speaking specifically. They could take it or leave it. And it's not, again, it's not a egoic thing. It's not a, well, fuck you. I'm going to do what I want type of thing. It's, this is what it is for me. And that either is going to work for you or it's not. And I'm willing to hear what it is for you because that's being in relationship. So it's just a great reflection, man. I feel like you just really embody that whole that whole part of the human existence that I really respect and admire. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm getting too much credit there. And I do, I definitely do appreciate that about you. I think everything you just said definitely comes off as sincere. I, I know you're not like bragging about it. It's, it's very sincere. I think you've arrived at a place where at least you convey a genuine authenticity that comes from, yeah, just self-awareness, self-realization, like knowing who you are. And I think we all struggle with love of self, right? Loving ourselves. And I think part of where music and meditation, all these things apply to my life is, again, not being afraid of going at the things I don't like about myself. Because once I can really confront those, it's also easy to love yourself then. You know, you like, you take this weight off your shoulders of putting yourself on this pedestal or imagining you to be more than human, you know, <laughs> like I know as, you know, a product of like someone who my mom like really raised me, right? Like my parents got divorced like pretty early and haven't had a relationship with my father. And you would, you know, as someone does men's work, I'm sure you're aware just of all the people you've done your workshops with and all the conversations you've had of how valuable a father figure is and what it, it can mean to a man and to a boy. And because of being kind of a mama's boy, I also developed a lot of effeminate qualities, right? That I'm very proud of. But the idea of like who I am as a masculine man and what that means, you know, is just always kind of a, it's a conversation changing a lot, whether it's through high school, college, and, you know, 20s and whatnot. But where I'm at now, at least, is that what puts me at ease is simply just knowledge, knowledge of self. So whether it's going back to the conversations we had about biology and then tracing like in the vision quest, you know, you can go back to everything about you up to the point till you do the vision quest, right? Kind of giving yourself your own like bibliography and like biography of everything you've done. That empowers you with knowledge to at least go back to seeing things more soberly, right? And clarity comes, I think, with information, with anything, right? You're going to do a trip somewhere. You don't know where you're going. There's no clarity there. Okay, now you know where you're going. Okay, you know a little more. Where is it on the map? What are the logistics, right? So that's what I'm trying to empower with myself every day and being easy on myself, knowing that everything's impermanent, right? Like two months from now, maybe after like, you know, just two hours of meditating or this and that, like I've had like a really good strong two months and I'm feeling balanced, aligned with my work, my relationship. I could be at a certain point, but I have to understand that two months after that, I may go down again, right? Because we can get attached to the places we get to, right? So I'm bringing this up because if someone asked me in 2021, I could feel good maybe where I'm going into 2021, but I'm also understanding of how flexible I'm willing to be that knowing up here, I may take some steps back and I don't want to get too hard if all of a sudden going into 2022, I'm like, man, I was feeling way better going into 2021. I'm like, that's okay. Have the self-awareness. And, and, you know, and as long as you're showing up every day, you can give yourself a hug, you know, and it's all good. <laughs> I love that, man. I really appreciate it. And I think the authenticity for you and your journey is also apparent and evident in the way that you present yourself, man. So I'm sure everybody will really feel that too. So much we could be talking about, man. I know we got so much more we could say, but it's a good time to wrap it up for now and save everything else for chapter two. I do want to ask you some lightning round style questions if you're ready for that. Yeah. 
I'll keep it right. quick. Yeah. All right. So what is one thing you've learned that you wish you knew when you were 18? I know it's a lightning round and I'm a slow storm right now. The flaws that to not be afraid of the flaws and be more honest with yourself and take criticism more constructively. Don't be as defensive. Nice. I like that. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? I think lightning rounds and authenticity don't go well with each other. But <laughs> <laughs> I think honesty and an open heart. I'll say two things. There you go. Yeah. Simplicity is what's needed for the lightning round. <laughs> All right. What does the world need most from men right now? Vulnerability. All right. And this one's specially for you, man. I haven't asked anybody else this, but who would produce the soundtrack for your life? Ah, that's not an answer. That's not an artist. That's my confliction <laughs> inside. I hate that you asked this question <laughs> in a lightning round. Okay. I would, it's a collaboration. I'll keep it simple. Okay. Okay. Tom York, Andre 3000 and tone deaf and then some days in the studio cunning linguists walk in whoa i love that man i love that and if you guys don't know those artists you got to go look them up <laughs> last but not least my bro john aka glass meadow tell us where people can go follow you can check out your music support everything that you're doing with your ten thousand hours man yeah man for sure youtube glass meadow spotify glass meadow instagram john underscore glass meadow Yep. And that's J-O-N, John. Beautiful, man. Well, thank you for everything you shared here today. It was good to, it's good to have a drop in like this with you. It's been a while. We used to do this in college all the time. I guess it should have been a foretelling of what we were going to do later, but we were talking about different things back then. This was, <laughs> this is really great, man. I'm glad to have you on here now and, and looking forward to continuing to watch your journey unfold as you keep doing your thing, man. I appreciate it. Likewise. And again, I, I really do appreciate and commend everything you do. I think it's beautiful work. If you've chosen to do, actively do. So I'd love to share your sites, your socials and everything as well. So I'll make sure that I'll promote you mutually, you know, and I appreciate you, man. I love you. Thank you. Yeah, man. I love you too, bro. Until the next chapter, man, we'll close it here for now. The remix. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I've really loved what John had to say and his unique perspective on expressing a lot of stuff that we hear all the time. But for some reason, the way he puts it, it must be the lyricism, the poet inside that just, it hits different. So lots of love to you, my bro. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you go to our website, risingman.org to check out the links and resources connected to this episode and others. And while you're there, go check out an opportunity to become a bigger part of the community, to jump in, to invest yourself, to invest in yourself to become more of the man that you want to be in your life. We got a whole bunch of opportunities for you guys. There's no excuse at this point. If you're not jumping in, then you ain't stepping up. So figure out a way to lean into your next level. You know, refresh. We're about a month into 2021 now. It's time to turn up the heat. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us. Go check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Big shout outs to my power team getting ready to make our cross country adventure. We'll be telling you guys more about that in the coming weeks. Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Mark, and Kyle. Appreciate you guys so much. And everybody else out there, I got a lot of love for you too. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. Your destiny.